About 500 years ago, there was a guy named William Tyndale. Many of you are familiar with his name, I imagine. He lived in England, and uh, it was around the 1500s. He loved Jesus. He loved God's word. Uh, He was considered an outlaw uh, by the Roman Catholic Church because he believed uh, that God's word should be our ultimate authority as Christians and not the traditions of men. Uh, Tyndale believed that God saves sinners who put their trust in him and that their own works do not contribute to their salvation. And Tyndale believed that we ought not to pray to dead people, even if we call them saints, but that we should pray to God directly. And he was a man who was extremely gifted with languages. He was fluent in eight different languages, which just blows my mind, being fluent in eight languages. And he uh, risked his life to translate the Bible into English, into the common vernacular of the people, so that you and I could have God's word in English and in our, in our language. Eventually, uh, he was captured for doing this. He was brought to court by the Catholic Church. And I want to show you this short scene from a movie about his trial. <clears throat> Shortly after that trial, <clears throat> he was, uh, Tyndale was excommunicated uh, from the Catholic Church and strangled to death and burned at the stake. <clears throat> the past three weeks, we've been reading in Scripture about another man uh, who was cast out of his community because of his testimony. John chapter 9 describes a man who had been born blind from birth. He was a beggar on the street when Jesus came to him one day and healed him. He put mud on his eyes. He made mud. He told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam and come back. And when he came back, all of his neighbors and family were so stunned by what they saw in him that they were arguing over whether or not he was even the same man. And when he came back, Jesus had disappeared so that nobody could ask Jesus what he had done to this man. And so the neighbors then brought him to the Pharisees. They said, <clears throat> Let's, they won't believe this. They've got to see what Jesus did to you. And, and after interviewing this man and his parents, the Pharisees were convinced that Jesus had, in fact, healed this man. But most of them still did not believe that Jesus was God, or they believed that he was demon-possessed is, is the term they keep using. And, and when this formerly blind man calls them out on this and said, no way, there's no way, that Jesus is demon-possessed, the Pharisees cast him out of the temple. They, they excommunicate him from the temple, from the Jewish people, which is one of the worst things that could happen to a Jewish man or woman. And the man being abandoned by his religious leaders, by his religious people, uh, even by his own parents, uh, is then visited by Jesus who appears to him one more time. And that's where we're going to pick up today. So if you've got your Bible, please open up to John chapter 9. We'll be in verses 35 to 41. Dear Lord, please help us now with this word. Please teach us. We believe that your word is living and active, God. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would move powerfully in this place and in our hearts and minds. Keep us attentive to what you want to teach us. Break into our hearts, soften our hearts to you, Jesus. Use your gospel to 
um, call your children to you to make them born again. Use your gospel to encourage us, Lord, in our faith. Please give us what we need as we feed on you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let me start by reading John chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Okay. So Jesus has been missing from the past 30 uh, verses. But now he appears out of nowhere, and I love what he's doing here. We want to slow down and see what he's doing here. Verse 35 says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him. Jesus found this formerly blind man, which means Jesus was looking for him. He, he cares about this man. Jesus is not indifferent to what this man has just gone through. Through the pain he's just experienced, the rejection that he's just endured, Jesus knows what it feels like to be mocked and rejected. And, and when Jesus healed this man's physical sight, he had begun a process of salvation in the man that he intended to complete. And so Jesus heard the man had been cast out, and hearing that he had been cast out, he searches for the man. After searching for the man, Jesus finds the man. This tells us that Jesus loves to pursue broken people. Jesus loves to heal broken people. Okay? Jesus loves to restore us to himself, to make us complete. Jesus loves to give to you and me life and joy that is in himself and that characterizes his kingdom because he is the king. Last week in Sunday school, we studied Luke 12, 32, in which Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, God doesn't pursue us and heal us and save us and forgive us and restore us to himself and then think to himself, man, I wish I didn't have to do this. I wish I hadn't done this for these people. It's not what the passage says. It says that it is God's good pleasure to give to you and to me his kingdom. He delights in it. He loves to heal broken people, and we've seen this over and over again just in the gospel according to John. In chapter 4, remember, Jesus put his own reputation on the line so that he could spend some time caring for a promiscuous Samaritan woman. Jesus calls her out. He calls her out. He, he doesn't sideswipe the fact that she's living in sin. She's living with a boyfriend she's not married to. This just happens to be one of a series of men that the, women, the woman has been involved with. And Jesus astonishes her, though, because he is able to describe to her the brokenness that is in her heart that nobody else could understand. And he's a stranger to her, and all of a sudden, he knows everything about her. And instead of casting her out of his presence... Jesus tells the Samaritan woman how to be healed. 
He says you need to drink the soul-satisfying, life-giving water of God that is available to you through faith in me. Jesus loves to heal broken people. In chapter 5, Jesus uh, approached the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. and This man had been an invalid for 38 years, nearly four decades of lying down next to this pool, hoping for somebody to pick him up and carry him into these waters and hoping that somehow these waters would mystically heal him. And then Jesus comes along. And with the same voice that created everything out of nothing, Jesus, our creator, told the paralyzed man, get up. That's the words he says, get up. And the man got up. And according to God's wisdom, we know that he doesn't always heal everybody's physical afflictions. But in this man's case, he did. And, and Jesus told the man also to turn away from your sin or else you're going to experience even more brokenness. God doesn't want that for us. Jesus loves to heal broken people. In chapter 6, the Pharisees bring to Jesus a woman who they just happen to catch in adultery. The Pharisees don't really care about her. They just want to use her in order to trap Jesus. And so Jesus, who is God, who is the definition of holiness and purity, he could rightly cast her out. He could rightly have her put to death for her sin. But instead, he uses the situation to reveal what God truly wants for people. Restoration and not punishment. That's what God wants. He wants us to be restored in him. And so in this act of amazing grace, Jesus saves the woman's life. He's the only one to speak up for. And he saves her life and he tells her, Go and sin no more, right? Jesus doesn't want sin. It leads to brokenness. Jesus loves to heal broken people. And now we see in chapter 9 that Jesus heals this man who was born blind. And he starts by healing him physically. And now Jesus will complete the healing by healing him spiritually. Now before we read, I want you to ask this. Are you a broken person today in need of healing? Are you going through a hard time in your life? Have you been stabbed in the back? Have you been rejected by friends, by family? As you sit here today, are you worried about your life, about your future, about whatever? Are you looking for a purpose in your life that no matter how much you work, how good of a parent you try to be, how good of a student you try to be, it never is enough. Are you looking for a purpose in life that is bigger than what this life seems to be doing for you? As you come in these doors, does your heart feel guilty? Are you heavy with guilt because you can't let go of the evil things that you have done? If that's you, then Jesus tells you to come to him. That's what he says. Come to me. Ask Jesus to heal you. Ask Jesus to save you. Ask Jesus to take your anxieties. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Ask Jesus to give you faith to trust him with everything. Ask Jesus to take this sin away from you, to forgive you of this sin. 
Believe that Jesus is God. Ask God to save you. Ask him to give you faith to believe that he is God and that when Jesus died on the cross, that he became your sin, that he became the guilt of all the evil that you would ever do, and that he put those things to death when he died on the cross. And if you trust in Jesus, you don't need to be afraid anymore that God will condemn you or that he is looking at you with a face of condemnation. See, because Jesus rose from the graves victoriously over sin, over death, over hell, that means that if you trust in Jesus, Jesus unites you to himself so that you too have been resurrected with him over these things. Whether you're a Christian or not, wherever you're at today, the only person who can give you the healing that you need right now is Jesus Christ. So look to him. Keep your eyes on him. Be filled with confidence, too. Be, he, he, he tells you not to do this with a spirit of fear, but with confidence and hope, because you know that this is what Jesus does. He loves to heal broken people. He loves to give you the kingdom. And he promises that he will never leave or forsake anybody who's in Jesus. He'll never turn against you. Praise God. <laughs> I'm currently reading the autobiography of Charles Spurgeon, uh, who's one of my favorite humans God ever made. And he talks at length about how as a young person, he could not accept the idea that God would forgive him for the things that he had done. He knew the gospel inside and out. He knew the Bible. He knew the stories. And it was good for other people, but he could not come to grips with the fact that this gospel was for him too. And in this autobiography, he describes his eventual conversion experience when God finally broke through to him through Spurgeon's own resistance to the gospel and how God gave him the faith to look to Jesus and to trust in Jesus completely for what he did for him on the cross and in his resurrection. <clears throat> Let me read what Spurgeon writes a little bit. He says, I looked and lived and leapt in joyful liberty as I beheld my sin punished upon the great substitute and put away forever. I looked unto him as he bled upon that tree. His eyes darted a glance of love unutterable into my spirit, and in a moment I was saved. Looking unto him, the bruises that my soul had suffered were healed. The gaping wounds were cured. The broken bones rejoiced. The rags that had covered me were all removed. My spirit was white as the spotless snows of the far-off north. I had melody within my spirit, for I was saved, washed, cleansed, forgiven through him that did hang upon the tree. If I understand the gospel, it is this. I deserve to be lost forever. The only reason why I should not be damned is that Christ was punished in my stead and there is no need to execute a sentence twice for sin. On the other hand, I know I cannot enter heaven unless I have a perfect righteousness. I'm absolutely certain I shall never have one of my own for I find I sin every day. But then Christ had a perfect righteousness and he said, there, poor sinner, 
take my garment and put it on you. You shall stand before God as if you were Christ. And I will stand before God as if I had been the sinner. I will suffer in the sinner's stead. And you shall be rewarded for works which you did not do, but which I did for you. By looking to him, I received all the faith which inspired me with confidence in his grace. And the word that first drew my soul, look unto me, still rings its clarion in my ears. There I once found conversion, and there I shall ever find refreshing and renewal. Is that awesome? Jesus loves to heal broken people. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep our faith in Jesus so that we can be saved for the first time and continue to be sanctified, continue to be refreshed and renewed in Jesus. Now, today's passage, so we've talked about how Jesus began the physical healing in the blind man's life, and he intends to complete it by bringing him to um, full spiritual healing. Now, in verse 35, Jesus asked the man, do you believe in the Son of Man? So this guy's just been cast out. How is this question supposed to help the man feel better about a situation? Son of man. Remember that this term son of man was a title used in the Old Testament that referred to God's Savior or the Messiah who would come, who who God would send into the world to rescue God's people from oppression. And so this Jewish man would have been familiar with this term, son of man. And he knew that Jesus was talking about God's Savior and Jesus asked the man if he believes in him. Do you trust in him? Do you trust in the Son of Man, the Messiah? He's asking him, this man who's just been rejected by the religious establishment, if he trusts in the Son of Man for acceptance and salvation. And the man answers, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Now, remember earlier, the man believed that he, he said Jesus is a prophet. So he believes that Jesus will tell him who the Messiah truly is. He knows he can trust this Jesus. And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. So remember, this is the first time this guy has actually seen Jesus with his own eyes. Because when Jesus healed him earlier in the passage, Jesus disappeared before the man could see him. So now Jesus says to this man with new eyes that the Son of Man is the one whom you have now seen, and it is he who you're speaking to. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him, which means probably means he bowed down in front of him physically and honored him. Now, if you read in chapter, uh, chapter 9 in one sitting, you might notice that this formerly blind man's Uh, understanding of who Jesus is actually progresses throughout the chapter. In verse 11, he simply refers to Jesus as a man. And then when he's interrogated by the Pharisees, he says that he believes Jesus is a prophet. And now when he's face-to-face with Jesus, he says in verse 38 that he believes that Jesus is the Savior, the Son of Man. And this progression is extremely important because believing that Jesus was a real man does not mean you trust in Jesus. Almost everybody in the world believes that Jesus was a real person in human history. And believing that Jesus was a prophet is not trusting in Jesus either. I mean, even Islam and many other religions believe Jesus was a prophet. 
See, it's only by trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Son of Man, that a person can be eternally saved. In his classic book, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, he writes, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. That is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. When Jesus healed the man's physical sight, he began to work in this man's heart to see him differently. He rescued him from a physical blindness, and now that permeates into this healing of spiritual blindness. Jesus reveals himself to this man now in such a powerful way that the man doesn't even doubt Jesus' identity as the Son of Man. It says, I believe. I believe you're the Savior. The man believes with a childlike faith. And for those of us who have been saved by Jesus, we could see ourselves in this blind man. Before Jesus entered our lives, we were blind to him. Most of us had probably heard of Jesus growing up. Uh, Many of us probably heard that he was God, that he was killed on the cross. Many of us probably attended Easter services at some point in our lives. But at best, perhaps we admired this man Jesus. But for whatever reason, we couldn't see how his life, his death, his resurrection had anything to do with us. What does that, what does that have to do with me? We were blind to Jesus' glory as God. We were lost in our sin, and we felt around in this darkness that we were in for things to hold on to. We, we pursued things in the darkness to try to satisfy this longing in our soul, which was actually created to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.4 describes our spiritual blindness, saying, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And while we were lost in the darkness in our sin, God loved us. He loved us even when we didn't know him, even when we didn't love him. He left heaven. He came to earth. He pursued us on our turf. He found us even when we weren't looking for him. And he made some mud. He put it on our eyes. And he rinsed us with the Holy Spirit who recreated us and made us born again in Jesus. He made us new. And for the first time, we could open our eyes spiritually and see the light of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts 
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And seeing Jesus with new eyes of faith, we believed that he was our Savior, just like this man did. We trusted him as our Savior. And, and just as this man responded to his salvation by joyfully worshiping Jesus, this is our story. This is the rest of our experience as Christians on this planet and into eternity. We want to worship Jesus. We want to obey him. We want to do what he says. We want to love him. We want to make a big deal out of Jesus now and forever in everything we do. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the free gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. This is what the song Amazing Grace is all about. <laughs> Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And after the formerly blind man expresses his faith in Jesus and worships him, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. So, now we, it gets a little more complicated, okay? Jesus is talking, remember, so th there's physical sight and there's spiritual sight, and Jesus is talking here now about spiritual sight. Jesus says that he left heaven, came into the world for judgment. Now in this context, Jesus means that as he shines his light in the darkness, a division naturally happens. A division arises between the light and between the dark, between the good and the evil. Specifically, Jesus says he came to bring light to the world so that those who do not see may see, so that those who see may become blind. So in other words, Jesus came to save, to spiritually rescue from their sin, lost people, and he saves them by shining his light into their souls through the message of the gospel and making them new. And at the same time, there are other spiritually lost people who see this gospel, who see Jesus' light, but instead of being drawn to him, they reject him. And they settle even deeper into this darkness of sin. Now, hundreds of years before Jesus' birth, the Old Testament prophets predicted that Jesus the Messiah would have this dividing effect on humanity. Uh, the Apostle John cites Isaiah in John 12, 40, where he writes this about Jesus. He, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Now, in John 3, 16 to 18, Jesus says that he came into the world so that whoever believes in him might be saved. He did not come to condemn humanity because humanity was already condemned to eternal death when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Jesus came to give life. Jesus came to give salvation. So as the Messiah, Jesus' ministry was characterized by people receiving him, through faith, and it was also characterized by people rejecting him as their hearts grew harder toward him. Now, in today's passage, we see that some of these Pharisees 
some of the Pharisees make up this group of people who reject Jesus, and in the process, they reinforce their own condemnation. In verses 40 to 42, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. So some of the Pharisees apparently overhear Jesus' conversation uh, with this formerly blind man, and they ask Jesus, oh, do you think we're spiritually blind? And he tells them, if you were blind, then you would have no guilt. So in other words, he's telling them this. If you had not seen God in human flesh doing signs and wonders in front of your very eyes, then you wouldn't be guilty of rejecting me after seeing these things. But since I have revealed myself to you in this way, and you still say that I am demon-possessed, that I am not God, then you are guilty of rejecting me. So the glory of God in Jesus Christ softens the hearts of some people, and it hardens the hearts of other people. And God does not delight in the hardening of people's hearts. But in his perfect wisdom, he does allow people's hearts to stay hardened, And in some cases, Scripture says that God is the one who hardens hearts. An example, if you read the story of uh, Moses and Pharaoh, you'll see this phrase over and over, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Okay. We don't know why God hardens some people's hearts, why he softens other people's hearts. We know that his ways are higher than our own, right? We know that he is completely trustworthy and that he loves us. So instead of using this time right now to try to understand things that God actually hasn't revealed to us, we should instead focus on what God has revealed to us. What we do know is that God loves to heal broken people and that he does not take pleasure in the death of anyone. And so what part does God want us to play then in turning hearts toward him? Well, Jesus tells us that he's come into the world to seek and to save the lost. And in John 5, 24, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And so if Jesus uh, gives eternal life to those who hear his word and believe that that means that you and I want to share God's word so that people can hear the word and believe it. We want to tell people who Jesus is and what he's done and how he's changed our lives. And we pray that God would use his gospel, his word, to save lost people. And, and for many of us, if we're honest, I think it's, it's daunting when we, to tell others about Jesus. So we need to pray. We pray that God would give us courage to tell others about him. Give us courage like William Tyndale. Give us courage like Paul. Give us courage like Jesus. We pray that God would give us a greater desire to share the gospel with others. We pray that God would prompt us at the right time, at the right opportunity. This is, your, this is when I want you to talk to this person right now. We pray that God would give us the right words that he wants us to say to him. And then Jesus also tells us that we should pray that God would raise up more people who play their part in saving lost souls. Whether that's planting the seed of the gospel or watering it or reaping the harvest of conversions. 
Another way God uses us to turn hearts toward him is when we show love. (laughs) When we work out our faith in our lives. So do our actions testify with our words that Jesus has changed our lives? Are we becoming more like Jesus in the way that we believe and think and act and talk? Or do we essentially live exactly like non-Christians? Talk exactly like non-Christians. Think exactly like non-Christians. Except the difference is we get in our cars and go to church on Sunday morning. See, we should seek to demonstrate our faith through lives of obedience to Jesus as we recognize that none of us are perfect and Jesus has died for our sins. That's the fuel for us to pursue Jesus all the more. And God also uses us to bring people to himself when we invite uh, non-Christians to, to join us in the church community. So we invite people to attend church with us. And if and when they show up, then we do everything to serve them hand and foot. We're all on the greeting team here. <laughs> you see somebody you don't know, introduce yourself to them. Even if you've been at the same church for six months, join the club. That's what I do every week. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, but it's, we want to know each other. We want to love each other. We want to take care of one another. Tim Challies writes that 1 Corinthians 14.25 speaks of the potential of church services where it speaks of an unbeliever hearing the, quote, secrets of his heart being disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. The love of Christ on display in and through the church is a powerful testimony to the gospel of Jesus. There are many, many people in our families, our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces who are lost, and we can't save them. But we can tell them who can save them. Jesus can save them. This is what this passage tells us today. Read the Bible, read this passage to see how Jesus healed this blind man physically, and then how he saved him spiritually. Look at your own life to see how Jesus sought you and called you and healed you and is restoring you fully to himself right now. I want to close our time by listening to a song called Adoption by a band called Ghost Ship. The song is about Jesus, how he pursued us when we were the outcasts, when we were lost and blind, how Jesus saved us when we weren't looking for him, how he adopted us into his family and made us his sons and daughters. So as you watch these words on the screen, Let's worship God in our hearts. You can with your words if you want. Reflect on who he is and what he's done for you. And as unsaved people come to your mind, say a prayer for them too. And I'll pray for us after the video. Amen. If you're here today and uh, you need prayer, please don't leave this place without getting prayer. um, That's why we're here. We're not here just to play church. We're here for each other. If you'd be willing to pray for somebody if they need prayer after the service, could you raise your hand just uh, if, if you're willing to pray for somebody? Lift them high so you can, people can see the people around you if you need prayer today. I, I encourage you, if you want prayer, to go, some, go to one of these people of the same gender and pray with them after the service. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for adopting us in. Thank you for coming for us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for showing us your light. Lord Jesus, would you please continue to shine your light in us, to give us faith, to build us up in you. 
Lord, we intercede for those we love and know who do not know you. And pray, God, that you would turn them towards you. You would soften their hearts. That your light would shine in their souls with power. You would save them and make them new, Jesus. You are what we need to be healed, period, Jesus, from whatever we're going through right now, eternally and uh, temporally. We need you, Jesus. Thank you for being that for us, and thank you for delighting to do this for us. Thank you for delighting to give us you and your kingdom. Please keep your hand on our flock this week. Keep us united as your church. May our body be one of encouragement and love and mutual edification. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's leave that as the closing song, you guys. I love you, and uh, God bless you. Thanks for being here.